to get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. This show is sponsored by Acorn TV. Acorn TV is your home for streaming British crime dramas and mysteries, my favorite kind of TV. It's the only place you can catch up and stream the newest season of the UK hit series Line of Duty, a cat and mouse thriller from the creators of Bodyguard that takes a probing look into police corruption. Watch the first episode of season one for free at acorn.tv slash crime and start a free 30-day trial of Acorn TV with the code crime. Crime. Turo is a peer-to-peer car-sharing marketplace where you can book any car you want, wherever you want it, from a community of local hosts. From exotic sports cars to practical daily drivers, you can choose the best car for you, whatever your budget. Download the Turo app, that's T-U-R-O, at the App Store or Google Play, or visit Turo.com. Get $25 off your first trip when you sign up for Turo and use promo code CRIME Crime. at checkout. Terms apply. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the true crime review podcast that digs into podcast pop culture. And this week, we'll talk about Zach Efron's turn as a real-life serial killer in Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile. Then we'll get a little bit voyeuristic, but tasteful, with a look at porn star tragedy in The Last Days of August. Joining me to get that done is my true crime co-author and real-life husband, my very favorite person in the entire world, former TV journalist Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Oh, Rebecca, that's so nice to say. I wish I had something equally nice to say about you. Yeah, you can say it later (laughs) in the show if you want. I'll write it down, slip it to you. Also with us is true crime author, journalist, cat lady, all of the good things, my very favorite uh, fellow woman podcaster, trust me, that comes up later, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) I will wait and see with anticipation then. And also with us is noir author, acclaimed noir novelist, and our resident cynic, who's also very woke, the host of our Patreon book club podcast, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. There's a lot of twists in there. <laughs> there were a lot of twists, mostly because I forgot to write down the introductions in the script. Yeah, you're not taking my advice about creating a template. No, I actually have a template. My, yeah, but you didn't use it. I forgot to use it tonight. It's yeah. true. It's true. I had a lot going on today. Uh, but I do want to mention, and this is the part of the show where we plug stuff, but this one's good. Tonight's Patreon after show features a very special segment of my children reading some of the worst iTunes reviews about this podcast. (laughs) Oh, no. It's great. I had nothing to do with it. The kids just came down to the studio and recorded it themselves and produced it themselves. That's awesome. Let's play 30 (laughs) seconds of it right now. I'm going to do that. Please, oh, please, Rebecca and other women, take lessons. High and windy is painful to listen to, not to mention Rebecca's excruciating cackle. Do you hear yourself? Okay, I just want to first talk about the fact that it says Rebecca and other woman. If you're writing a review for this podcast, you should at least know the people's names by now. Okay, so if you want to hear <laughs> that whole segment, you can sign up for our Patreon at patreon.com slash partners in crime media and listen to our amazing crime writers on after show. We're also going to be talking about, even though it's a week too late, the penultimate episode of Game of Thrones. And Toby probably hasn't watched it, so there'll be no context, but the rest of us have feelings and thoughts. And next week, Lily's going to read mean tweets about us. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> no, we're not doing that. But there's tons of great stuff on Patreon, including Laura Bricker's amazing podcast called Leave It to Bricker, Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast, and of course, the Crime Writers on After Show. So much stuff on our Patreon feed. But I think we should kick off the show quickly tonight. What do you think, Kevin? Let's do it. All right. Can you please read this for me? What are we starting the show with? True, True. True. Crime, Crime Update. update. Now, I'm going into this a little bit cold, I will admit. I hear there's a new lead in the Madeline McCann case. Is that true? That's true. It was in the paper, so it must be true, what right? What paper? The British paper, the Daily Beast. I don't know. Is that actually on paper? No. Oh, well. <laughs> no. Toby and I know because we watched the Netflix documentary on the disappearance of Madeline McCann. Yes. And the British press was crazy. Toby, as a matter of fact, I got into a conversation with somebody at work today, and she was living in England and just had a baby at the time of the case. And she said the Netflix documentary doesn't do it justice as far as the media frenzy around the case. Yeah, I was actually at a a party with a woman from Scotland who said that uh, the uh, documentary was not well received in general. Really? Across the pond. Yeah, and we know that the McCanns did not participate because they thought that the producers were going to pin it on them. And apparently what the press is saying now is that uh, they are telling friends that they were relieved that that wasn't the case. We did get some feedback from some listeners who were upset. I didn't I wouldn't participate in that week's taping, obviously, Mm -hmm. when you guys talked about it. But the idea that like. You know, it's normal to go to a resort and have your kids sleep in a room or whatever, and that was portrayed as being quasi normal. We had a, got a bunch of like nasty emails about that, and I gotta say, like, I know it's a huge part of the story, and I'm minimizing it by saying this, but like, when I hear that particular detail, I kind of get it. Like, I, it's like it's not, it wasn't that, but it, it's that's a very polarizing idea, right? They'd be the, in this like resort and like leave the kids yeah. in the room and go to dinner or whatever. But then when you see like just what the resort looks like and it is sort of this like close knit apartment situation. Yeah. Yeah. Like it seems I'm not saying it's the best parenting choice, but it also seems like a reasonable choice that there but for the grace it, of God right. go it, it, I. It is sort of a make. fulcrum on where people come down on the case yes. and about whether right. or not the parents were responsible. There was an evening daycare service that parents did take advantage of, but not. Right. This group of parents. They wanted their parents to sleep, kids to sleep, right? Wanted the kids to sleep. Yeah. In fact, and I and think they, they didn't want to have to get them and wake them up and yeah, carry them all to the wake way them over. Up and that's a pain in the ass waking your kids up and getting them back to sleep. I will say, I have been there. Yeah. So. We all yeah. kind of get it as a opposed yeah. to yeah. having them kidnapped and yeah, exactly. Them well, all you know. And apparently, for a long time, one of the uh, suspects that they were looking for, they later determined was very likely a parent who went to the they, they call it the crash to this daycare. To pick up their kid, and that's why this guy was seen walking away with the child from that general direction. It was probably somebody who took advantage of that service. So anyhow, right. but there is a, a, a new, at least what's being described as a new development Tell in me. the case. Uh, they're looking into a German pedophile by the name of Martin Nye. He's from Germany. He told a, a German inmate something about McCann's case that only the kidnapper would know, whatever that is. And why uh, they're looking at Nye is that he was known to have been around that uh, um, resort? resort in Portugal, in uh, Playa de Luge. And so uh, some of the things that he, you know, his modus operandi matched one particularly troubling scenario that they were tracking down. He would, uh, he was there for, I guess, for 
for murdering two children and their bodies had never been found, the sexual abuse of other children. He's in jail for this. His modus operandi was to steal the children. He, he would don a black balaclava uh, mask and then sneak into their rooms while they slept and the parents were out. And then he would sedate the children and then remove them quietly according to the court documents of his, his conviction. So he was working at a homeless center run by an evangelical church in the same area around the same time. So that's why he's he's very interested. Also, the Portuguese authorities are homing in on a second suspect, someone that they believe was an accomplice of his. They're looking at whether or not this guy had something to do with it. Madeleine McCann, she, her, uh, her 16th birthday would have been this month. Hmm. Wow. Or is this mother? We don't we don't know if, if she's alive or not, but Toby, this to me it sounds like this lines up with that anecdote about the guy who would break into the resort and lie down with the children. Do you remember right. that part? That that f- creeped me the hell out. Yeah. No, it's that I mean that was it was weird. <laughs> Basically. I mean the whole thing with this is that even in the documentary you know, there are so many different possibilities and, you know, you really got the sense that unless she was found or somebody confessed, like nothing was going to happen. Yeah. And I mean, it sounds like this guy didn't like sort of technically confess, but if he did know some piece of information that nobody else could have possibly known, then maybe that's good. Although, you know, I kind of take all this stuff with a grain of salt. I think the media coverage is in general been sensational. So I, you know, I don't, take this less seriously than I would, you know, another case that was less sensational. Right, mm-hmm. right. Oh, by the way, the reason that the Portuguese authorities were interested in the second guy is that he was involved in a sex trafficking ring about the same time that he was hanging out with Nye and about the same time that McCann disappeared. So that, that's sort of like how these all, these investigative threads are being tied together now. And somebody watched the the documentary and remembered seeing this guy and told authorities and so it's you know i guess uh, this case uh, this case lives on yeah a case like this is always going to live on even if they find somebody who's a plausible suspect and mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's like this is the kind Chambonet. of case that will more murray mm-hmm. i mean this is the kind of case that will always live on right Lindbergh, baby yeah. yeah absolutely well hopefully they find her <laughs> yeah or, right you know, bring some kind of resolution. Find out what happened, right. All right, well, should we move on to our first review of the evening? Let's do it. The media has convicted Ted before he's had his day in court. I'm gagged, and you're not. I wonder whether he did it or not. I'm more popular than Disney World. Netflix is following up its documentary, The Bundy Tapes, with a scripted version of the Ted Bundy story. It's called Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile. And it stars teen heartthrob, no longer a teen, but teens do love him, (laughs) Zac Efron as the mercurial criminal who conducted his killing spree while still in a relationship with his long-term girlfriend, Elizabeth Klepfer. That guy's been staring at you all night. What do you say we get out of here? What is it about this guy? When I feel his love, I feel like I'm on top of the world. There are things you don't know. Hi, officer. I think I must be lost. That will shock you beyond your worst nightmare. Relying on its source material and the charm of its two leads, extremely wicked, shockingly evil and vile, tells its story on the knife's edge between humanizing Bundy and exposing his inhumanity. And by the way, it's also made by the same guy who made that Bundy Tapes documentary, Joe Berlinger. 
Now, we are going to be talking about plot points for this movie. I'm going to say this title again because I always forget it. And I feel like if I say it more, I'll remember it. Extremely wicked, shockingly evil and vile. So if you want to stay spoiler free, go to the time code in our show notes that will point you to our thumbs up or thumbs down review. Lara Bricker, after watching the Bundy tapes, now that you've now learned that it's the same director, obviously part of some sort of like movie packaging situation, mm-hmm. did you need another Ted Bundy movie or TV show when you started watching this film? Not really. I mean, the last one went on and on, and I think I was so traumatized by the ending in terms of just the circus that surrounded his execution. But this one ended up kind of, I wouldn't wouldn't say sanitizing it, but it didn't show all the horrible stuff. So it was told from a different perspective. So it was kind of like the after school special version of Ted Bundy in a way. (laughs) Wow. That's a really. The more you know. Apt, like amazing description of this that I, I was like, I'm going to be honest with you. (laughs) I don't know where that came from. It just came out of nowhere. But watching it. Yeah. I mean, I've seen on the internet, there's like a lot of feelings about this. Part of me is like, I'm okay with some of the feelings. A part of me is like, well, you know, whatever. It's a movie that was taken from point of view. But the after school special version of Ted Bundy is an excellent. You just put your finger on my feelings about this. (laughs) Toby, (laughs) Toby, what are your thoughts? Like, did we need this? And what is it like in general? What are your thoughts on this? My main thought is that this seemed like it was like a contractual obligation or mm. something. It seemed like there was sort of minimal effort put into it. Like when I was over, I was like, why did they even make that? Mm. There's nothing about it that was suspenseful. I don't think I gained any insight into anything. The only person who it seemed like it made any sense for was Zach Efron, like trying to play against part. But I don't think he really – I mean, he just comes across as sort of this normal guy who – this messed up stuff kind of happens to because you don't actually have any sort of experience of what he does. Not that you necessarily need to see it, but there's not even any, there's no hint that he's done anything other than hearing about it until the very, very end. I I was kind of blown away by how bad and ill thought out and just sort of phoned in the whole thing was. I understand why you could have, you can have both. I mean, there was, the time that you had the OJ stuff sort of all happened at the same time you had the ESPN documentary alongside with the the FX oh, it was series. So good. Yeah. We just remember just for a second how great both of those things were. Mm-hmm. There was the FX series, but then also the ESPN documentary was great. Yeah. I think it was amazing. Yeah. I think that the movie of itself is not bad, but the problem is Toby's right that for us it seemed like there was very little suspense. I think it's because we knew the story intimately well from having watched the documentary and i think that if you if we had seen the movie first mm. the the scripted movie the zach efron thing without having watched the thorough documentary some of that stuff would come off as pretty surprised i like i said at the time i didn't know that he escaped from prison it, twice it the documentary yeah right you know so if if you'd gotten sort of the hour and a half dramatized version that's putting together sort of the clip show of it, right? That here are all the high points and then dramatically they're not going to tell you this. So I think that it ended up suffering by comparison because we've already seen hours and hours of this. So it takes away all of the suspense and surprise and dramatic tension that ought to be there in the movie. Because when you tell a story like that, you either have to tell people something that they hadn't heard before or that they didn't know. And so you can get away with, you know, doing a lot of these period biopics because people forget a lot of the details. 
But if you'd just seen this version of it on Netflix two or three months ago, a lot of that stuff's going to keep coming in. And part of times I'm like, wait a minute, that didn't happen. Did it like that? Because I thought it happened differently, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that struck me, and I think a lot of the controversy around this film is what you mentioned. If you only watched this... It, this is a straight-up glorification of Ted Bundy. It is, in many yeah. ways, a glorification of Ted Bundy. The documentary shows that in court, for instance, at the very end of his entire you know, legal stuff and you know, being on the run and murdering more people, the judge in court does do that speech about like how you had so much promise and stuff. But the documentary also shows that he also kind of sucked in court. Like, he was not a yeah. good lawyer. He was kind of like grandiose and narcissistic and said things that made no sense. Yeah. And the movie just showed him being cool. And the documentary kind of gets into his more complicated relationship with Liz Klepfer. And by the way, she has a different name, too. She goes by a couple of different names. But the movie only shows it as being a very romanticized version of relationship that, that was perfect. Mm-hmm. And it, all you have to yeah. do is like a tiny bit of digging to realize that like it was also like kind of an abusive awful relationship that he mm. kept coming back to. He did try to actually kill her once. Right. Told well, her oh, later. Oh. See, it's funny because her book is the source material yes. for the movie. Yeah. And, she, and there was almost none of that right. information in the documentary. Right. And in real life, yeah. she says in her book that she asked him when he was finally in prison by phone. She never visited mm. him in prison. You know, did you ever think about killing me? And he tells her that he tried to burn her house down with her in it once. And like that was like oh, something God. that happened. And this movie just leaves all that out. So now, that would have been a good dramatic I un- But I understand like if you are forced to watch, if you I mean, forced, but if you watch both the documentary and this, this makes more sense. Because in the documentary, we see all these women throwing themselves at Ted Bundy and like showing mm-hmm. up at court. And this movie sort of shows that, like why one would do that. But it also takes out all the other stuff. So they're they're companions, but this does not. I don't think it works by itself and that way. You know what I mean? You know, even on those terms, just the choices that the movie makes about what it wants to spend time with and what it doesn't spend time with. Like, even if you know the decision is made, it's like okay, we're not going to show him murdering women or menacing women or or any of that stuff. There are a lot of scenes that I thought were just kind of like boring. Like his escape where he's like escapes from the uh, the first time he escapes and then he goes up into the mountains and he's like breaking into houses and living there and starving and freezing. That all seems like a lot more interesting than another scene of his girlfriend hanging out depressed drinking in her in her living room. Right. And they skip all of that, With Toby, the, and they go I right see to dead the- dead people, yeah, kid. Yeah. <laughs> right. Haley Joel Osment. But they skip all right. that they, interesting they skip stuff it. It's just in the like, mountains. oh, we found yeah. him. And then it's like suddenly he's in- like partying at the Florida State campus after he, that whole escape thing was kind of interesting where he like dropped down into the warden's apartment to escape. Like that screams out like show this because it's suspenseful and and all this and they, they just chose not to do it. It's like he crawls up through the ceiling and next thing you know, he's like doing shots with co-eds. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you. And I think one of the things that's really a shame I mean, Laura, you pointed out that you didn't realize this was source material from Liz's book. Now, Liz, by the way, is a very interesting person, Elizabeth. She is now like living basically, not in hiding, but she's like living anonymously, probably under a different name. Yeah. She did somewhat participate in the making of this film insofar as that it was her source material. Like apparently she visited the set. But it's almost like her story is also not really in this because we just sort of see her... 
reacting and we see her sort of like wandering through the world and we see her sort of passively, you know, with her friend, that actress from Westworld and with Haley Joel Osment, <laughs> the, who plays the boyfriend. <laughs> we see her just sort of reacting and being. We don't actually see except for that one kind of like fantasy getting together sequence and that other sequence of them like partying in her house. We don't really get a lot of her internal life at all, which for me is like, that was the opportunity that was missed. What do you think, Laura? Yeah, because I, I do feel like she was just sort of portrayed, you know, in this one dimensional level where she's kind of sitting there pining away for him. She can't get over him no matter what he does. She's watching him on TV, even though she has this nice guy who sees dead people who now wants to eat lunch with her and be uh, hanging out with her. She just can't get over. So she's kind of portrayed kind of stereotypically almost I feel like as this this woman who's been duped by him but still believes him and still has this sort of torch that she's carrying and you know I kind of wish I had known up front when I started this that it was based on her book instead of at the end because I was kind of second guessing a lot of the information as it was going on and then at the end I'm like oh well it was based on her book so it must have been accurate because you know I remembered differently how it came out that she was the one who had reported him in terms of thinking it was him and her being suspicious and reporting him and in this um, it was it you know kind of came came across differently but I, I guess I would have liked to know a little bit more kind of about what happened to her afterwards right um You know, because we have this little thing. Well, now she's sober and life is good and end of story. I'm like, okay, (laughs) right. That's it. Um, You know, so I feel like it was almost like, you know, I don't want to stereotype like Lifetime movies, but it was like the Lifetime movie sort of, you know, take on the woman who's duped by the guy. Did you say that she never went to visit him in prison? No, apparently that was not the way it went down. Apparently they had a phone call. They had, they had a different kind of interaction. She didn't actually go and have that conversation when that was dramatized. So the whole like cathartic end of it is just bullshit. Yeah. Or at least it didn't happen face to face. It could have happened on the phone, but bullshit is kind of what you get from these kinds of things. Yeah. I mean, there there is dramatization. It's the same way they sort of telescope his escape from, you know, his escape from jail and then him being caught like, a, you know, it seems like immediately... It's telescoped and dramatized and, and sweetened. You know what I mean? Like, the judge didn't look anything like John Malkovich. Well, we got to get to that later. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, you know, it's one of those things where if you're going to take poetic license with that, can you do something that's less lame? Mm. Like, the, the only possible reason why that final scene you would choose to do it that way is because it was based on some kind of truth. Because the reality was, is that it's not a good scene. It's not suspenseful. The only reason why you even realize is that it's cathartic is that she comes out and hugs everybody. This this thing just was really poor, I thought. Yeah, and also the way that it's portrayed is like she's already made the recovery journey and then just goes to visit him to... I don't know, get herself validated or whatever. Because when he like writes the thing on the glass, she doesn't even seem particularly right. like, <gasps> but then the big reveal is supposed to be that she's the one who called the cops, but it's not that big a reveal. Like it's right. fine. You know, you know what yeah. I mean? It would have been much more suspenseful if she, if you knew that she had done it and then you spent time with her, like worrying that somehow she was wrong. Right. Or that he'd know, find or out. That, or that he'd find out. Right. Like, so she's got all this guilt and stuff, but you're not aware of it until the end when there's this reveal. And then it's like, uh, okay. Yeah. That would have been more effective to know earlier. So there would have been like some suspense around it. Kevin, you want to talk about the casting a little bit? Because we do have Zach Efron sure. playing Ted Bundy. We have John Malkovich playing the judge. We have 
Lily Collins, who's an actress, but it should be mentioned, also the daughter of Phil Collins. Mm -hmm. And we have Clementine from Westworld playing her best friend. We also have the guy from Big Bang Theory. Yes. Jim Parsons. Sheldon. Playing the lawyer. That's the prosecutor. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good sign. And Haley Joel. sounds just like Sheldon. It does, yeah. (laughs) He does not sound like he's from the great state of Florida. Uh, Look, I, I did like most of the casting. I thought Zac Efron was a good casting choice for this because- you know, so they give him sort of the curly hair and the turtleneck sweater, and it's like, fuck, that's Ted Bundy. He does a little bit like Ted Bundy. He does look like Ted Bundy, and he's well, let's a good- be real. When he takes off his shirt, he's way hotter than oh, Ted Bundy. Oh, yeah, my God. I was like, yep, <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> Sorry. But, but, Sorry, everyone out there. But, but you can see when you have a charismatic actor like that, someone who's super good looking, you can eat more easily buy into the idea that this guy could lure women into his trap. If it was the guy who plays Sheldon, who's playing, you know, the serial killer, you'd be like, well, this guy's weird. Why would I, you know, walk over to his car? You know, that that, that kind of thing. I did like Lily Collins. I thought she was good. I did not like John Malkovich. Yeah, no kidding. Because he was basically John Malkovich as a judge. Yeah, which is unfortunate. Now, this, uh, this is the reason why I didn't like him. Because, again, it suffers in comparison to the real stuff. The judge, the real judge, was so interesting and like all of his all of the lines like his 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 dialogue was way more interesting coming from his mouth than from John Malkovich's because he just like read he had like none of that sort of southern charm inflection when he's calling somebody partner it's like if i call somebody you know i said hey you know toby you know nice job partner it doesn't sound like the same as like when he says you know hey but it just it's it, it's like he's reading lines for the wrong guy yeah and also the fact that the judge said the line that is the title of the film. Yeah. It felt like a little bit of a stunt putting John Malkovich in that. <laughs> to me it did anyway. Say this line while we push in dramatically. Yes. Toby sent me one note that I just want to read out loud to you guys. Mm-hmm. The dog scene was so stupid that I wanted to cry. <laughs> so, Laura Bricker, do you believe that if you were Ted Bundy and you went into a, a shelter, perhaps to adopt a dog with your lovelorn girlfriend, who had also perhaps called in a tip to the cops, which she in no way signals to you in any way, even though she believes you might be a killer, she's still going with you to adopt a dog at a dog shelter. Do you believe that if you were a perhaps a Rottweiler lab mix that you would see Ted Bundy and immediately start growling and backing up and knowing immediately that he was a serial killer? Did you almost cry when you saw that scene, Laura Bricker? Or was that Toby alone that felt that way? I didn't almost cry because then the dog laid down because the dog was like, oh, shit, I better do what he says because he's the alpha. I don't know. I just thought it was kind of stupid. I didn't like how he like growled at the dog. I'm like, I felt like it was a little bit of a stretch. But I didn't. I didn't cry. How many times have you seen that that scene? Though, yeah, where like the bad guy like cows a dog. Oh, totally. I don't know. Dogs, Dogs are good judge of characters. Dogs so are cats. <laughs> yeah. Well, I went. Cats. To, I did. I did check up to see if that had actually happened, and it didn't. They just put it in there. Oh. Of course, <laughs> it didn't happen. Toby, no. Well, I was no, like, no. I was like, I'm not going to like say how stupid it is, and then find out like some people like, oh, dude, that totally happened. So I checked it out, and it was just something they put in there to, like, heighten his creepiness. That must be why all of the shitty iTunes reviews are not about Toby, because he actually fact-checks before he criticizes things. Yeah, I I think I do, but then I, like, still misspelled the McKay Bridge and 
freaking Halifax oh. and uh, Vulture. Well, you know, yeah, that's true. Oh, well, at least you don't have a cackle. <laughs> that's at least true. you're not one of those Thank women. Thank God for that. <laughs> yeah, women. I know. I'm just one of those women. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's going to. You know, you're the other You know what? Woman. That gives me. <laughs> I, I'm the other woman. That gives me rage walking motivation. We're not incentivizing people to give us one star reviews now, are we? No. Like we do with Amazon? No, I hope not. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we'll read it on the air. <laughs> I hope we're incentivizing them to join our Patreon and hear that. But I also think I may take that clip and release some of it out in the world because it's <laughs> fucking hilarious. All right. Well, I think we should do what we do. I mean, it sounds like we're all sort of maybe leaning in one direction on extremely wicked, shockingly evil and vile, the fictionalized version of the Liz Klepfer Ted Bundy story available on Netflix. Let's give it our thumbs up or thumbs down review. Should our listeners check it out? Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. I mean, if you're like a big Zac Efron fan and you really want to see some more of him, uh, sure. You know, High School Musical, you've watched it too many times. This is the next step. I don't know. I'm all set with Ted Bundy. I didn't really need to see this. You know, it was, I think, probably the most interesting thing for me was like, oh, wait, is that the guy, the little kid who was in that I See Dead People movie I've grown up? I was like, wow, that's exciting. Um, That's what he looks like now. So I would say no. I mean, you know, it's like an hour and a half. So if you really have some time to kill, but it's not like the best thing I've ever watched. And I don't think I would be like, oh, yeah, go out and watch this. So it's a thumbs up, sort of. What about you, Toby Ball? Thumbs up or thumbs down on this fictionalized Ted Bundy portrayal on Netflix? Uh, I'm a huge thumbs down. I thought it was ridiculous. Like, <laughs> everything about it. From Ted Bundy walking down the street and, like, every woman checks him out. Mm. Like, it's, it's a Sassoon ad or something. <laughs> it's just stupid. The whole thing was, it was, everything about it was bad, except for, except for nothing. It was all bad. I mean, I kind of felt like Zac Efron... <laughs> Like that was like kind of a good move on his part, but he didn't bring like, like if his name hadn't been Ted Bundy, you know, and you just watched it and his name was like Fred Smith, like <laughs> there's Fred no Smith like was a badass path, there's no killer. pathos to it or whatever. He just seemed like a normal dude. Yeah. Right. You know, there, there was nothing about him that seemed off. So yeah. I don't know. I thought it was terrible. I liked the idea of extremely wicked, shockingly evil and vile. I think the idea of trying to do a movie where... With hindsight, it's impossible to imagine that a serial killer could have fooled so many people and had a long-term girlfriend who had a child who would have kept him in her life for so long and could have like been the kind of person that went to a library when he was literally on trial for like a horrible assault and still potentially like seduce some co-eds. Like it's a fascinating idea to do it from that perspective. But to me, it did not deliver. Even though Zac Efron was fine, I'm guessing there was a lot more like good Zac Efron stuff that was on the cutting room floor. Just as there was a lot of good Lily Collins stuff that ended up on the cutting room floor. The whole thing to me ended up being kind of flat and not delivering on its premise, which, you know, on its face, like I didn't think I needed another Ted Bundy thing, but it could have been a good movie. It could have been really good, but it kind of wasn't. I mean, we watched it. It was fine. But I got to give it a thumbs down. What about you, Kevin? Well, I'm going to give it a, a thumbs up, but barely. You're right. It was just fine. I didn't. Th- I, I, I think that the things that I disliked about it primarily have to do with the fact that I already knew a lot of the good details because I had just watched the documentary. I just watched it from the from the same director. You know, first of all, I, I think the name is stupid. Um, you know, just get that. It's out impossible there. to remember. It's po- yeah, and it's it's. <laughs> What is it called? I'm going to challenge you right now. There's no longer your paper. Ex- something extremely something 
Wicked, Wicked vile. Those three vile. words. <laughs> you could have just taken one of those. The, the, the name of the true crime book would have been extremely wicked, and that's it. I, you know, I think it was like I, said, I think it was okay. I mean, I did like Zac Efron. I missed sort of when, when they would do scenes where I had seen the videotape from the documentary. I found myself wanting to see that again. One of the most pleasing parts of the video was watching the credits when they played those videotapes from the scenes that we saw. But I think, you know, for the most part, it's okay. If you really like the Ted Bundy documentary, then you might enjoy this. It's not really hot. It's kind of lukewarm. And if you don't like your drinks lukewarm, then you want to invest in some stylish drinkware from Brewmate. Wow, I love Brewmate. Which I'm actually holding in my hot little hands right now. Me Me too! too. Uh, Whatever your taste (laughs) in beer, wine, or spirits, Brewmate, make sure every sip is the perfect temp. Brewmate's stylish insulated drinkware is designed to keep your favorite beverages ice cold all day long. Okay, so we're going to go around the horn here. I have in my my hot little hand the Hopsolator, mm. uh, and this is holding a uh, bottle of beer. And it has, let's see, I can tell because of the, the run clock here that I opened this bottle more than an hour ago. Let's try it. Oh, yeah. That's Absolutely good. still cold. Absolutely still cold. It's not like a, it uses like a, Science to keep it cold. It's not just like squishy stuff. No, it's, yeah, it's like it's like a koozie, but it actually works. But can I just talk about the cups? Yeah, because I have the. Um, That's the Imperial Pint. I freaking love this, and I also but love. It's the a wine pint, glass. but it's twenty ounces, not sixteen. Right, but I also love it. Yeah. See, I have the. Um, the so wood the walnut grain, finish. The walnut yeah. finish. It's classy AF. Mm-hmm. I right now have my favorite beverage in it: Hendrix and. Ruby red. Oh, just not twenty ounces of that. No, ruby okay. red grapefruit juice, tons of ice, a little bit of rosemary, a little bit of seltzer. It is fantastic. What I love about these cups is if you put a cold drink in this cup and then you like forget about it, like you put it down, whatever. Like I use it during the day when I'm working at home for my regular seltzer and water stuff. You pick it up like three hours later, like all the ice is still there. It's still super cold. It just like looks so great. It's just not stupid looking like a lot of cold cups are. I don't know. I love it. I love the brewmate stuff so much. Laura, I can't see you, but I'm guessing that you're drinking from the uncorked, which is the smaller wine goblet. Well, it, it does hold like a good 12 to 14 ounces. So oh, yeah. I'm going to say it's a serious cup. It is. It, it actually holds half a bottle yeah. of wine. Yeah. I, I noticed that. Go. I was yeah. like, ooh, wow. I know. It was very exciting. But I have to tell you, the one that I love, I got whatever the pint glass is, I, you know, is for beer, but I use it in the morning for coffee because I like to have like a lot of, I need a lot of coffee in the morning. So I, I have like half the cup before I like get out of the house and take my son to school. I go do my walking, rage walking, whatever. I come back to my car and my coffee is still hot. Yeah. Which is Awesome! This is a great, so, great set of. It's products. like multifunctional, and it's so fancy. I was, I was like showing it off today. I went rage walking with my friend Maggie this morning, and I, it's like all sparkly and pretty, and it's, it's. I love it. We got a lot of great different styles, colors. Absolutely. I have to say, I was, uh, you know, my we have a son going to college next year. Yeah. And his dorm list, because the where he's going to school, there's no cafeteria. So like, buy yourself like some good travel cups. You go to local coffee shops and use your meal card or whatever to get whatever. I'm like, I'm getting you some brewmates. It's just what I'm getting him. Send to college. You know, I spend a lot of time on docks in the summer with beer so it's in the sun and everything so it's like a perfect summer on the lake yeah it's perfect type of, type of you thing, keep it yeah. cold your hand stays just warm on That's the outside right. don't settle for warm alcohol chill out with your favorite drinks all day long with brewmate visit brewmate.com and add code crime to get 15 percent off your first order that's 15 percent off your first order when you go to b-r-u-m-a-t-e.com and add the code crime crime 
What else you got, Kevin? Well, with more than 70 sizes, including their signature half-cup sizes, yes. Third Love designs Third Love. bras with breast size and shape in mind for a perfect fit and premium feel. Rebecca? I'm just going to let you read the copy while I go ahead and show you the demonstration here. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, Kevin. Well, this is fast becoming my favorite sponsor. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm not like showing you my bra, but I'm just leaning back and no, showing Rebecca, you how great I, my bra is. I have been doing the laundry. I do know what a third love bra looks like. Yes, you do. And I do know how you got one. Yeah. You just answer a few simple questions at Third Love's Fit Finder quiz, and you can find your perfect fit in 60 seconds. And then, thanks to Third Love's 100% fit guarantee, you can wear and wash that bra. Put it to the test for 60 days. If you don't love it, you return it, and Third Love will wash it and then donate it to a woman in need. I'm going to turn away from my wife and ask my good f- friend, Laura Bricker, about her brassiere. Did you enjoy your third bra? I did enjoy it because, you know what, sometimes it's hard to find the exact size. Women all have, like, some little issues. Like, sometimes you have one area that never fits quite right that may be loose or tight and in, like, a traditionally fitted bra. And this, when you do the quiz factors all that in. So there's going to be one that fits your particular shape, whether you know, I, I think they use some sort of uh, fruit analogy <laughs> to uh, hone in, uh, you know, to, to give a better description. But uh, Summer yeah, oranges, summer eggplants, we know this. Yeah. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone, so right now they're offering our listeners 15% off their first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash crime. Crime. Now, to find your perfect fitting bra, that's 15% off your first purchase thirdlove.com slash crime crime for 15% off today. I love that you keep like tapping me like I'm not going to say crime. I'm going to say on the fo- You're typing I, stuff I on the promise phone. I promise I will still say it. You missed it the first time, <laughs> so that's why I was tapping you. <laughs> all right, well, moving on. Released earlier this year on Audible, but hitting all the podcast apps only last week and therefore gaining a whole lot more traction... The Last Days of August is John Ronson's investigation into the death of August Ames. A successful porn actor, August died by suicide in December 2017, the week after a tweet she posted about not wanting to work with a porn actor who also filmed gay scenes went viral, leading to waves of criticism from fans and people in the industry. August's first tweet that day was... Whichever lady performer is replacing me tomorrow for Erotica X News, you're shooting with a guy who has shot gay porn, just to let you know, I do my homework for my body. Gay performers were offended and they told her so. Her next tweet read, Not homophobic. Most girls don't shoot with guys who have shot gay porn for safety. The pylon intensified and so she tweeted, Sorry. Honestly, I'm sorry if I offended anyone. Then, August's final tweet. Fuck you all. Now, we are going to be discussing plot points for the last days of August, so if you wish to remain spoiler-free, go to the time code listed in our show notes for our thumbs-up or thumbs-down review. Now, I want to talk a little bit about John Ronson. He is really a modern-day gonzo journalist who puts himself inside of stories to tell stories He is, you know, beloved by a lot of people who listen to public radio, uh, other podcasts that he's done, other projects that he's done. And he's obviously been very involved in the kind of like anti-online bullying moment. I think John Ronson is, 
I don't want to say completely responsible, but certainly a key factor, for instance, in us realizing that what happened to Monica Lewinsky was super bullshit. Like John Ronson had a huge part to play in that. But he's a very interesting broadcaster in terms of his delivery and style and even the style of this podcast. Toby, I know like you're historically have been a big fan of John Ronson's, right? Yes. I think he's thoughtful and smart. And I think he uh, looks into interesting things. You know, his his delivery is definitely distinctive, but in a way that I think is isn't distracting and is kind of endearing. I thought he was the the guy who did the tickled documentary. He sounds like him. A little bit, except that John <laughs> Ronson is uh, Welsh, I believe. Yeah. And that guy that was guy's from Australia. New, New Zealand, Zealand, right? Yeah. Right. Now, Laura, I know that you like John Ronson as a narrator. You think he's very soothing, and you kind of what want to like have him read you a story tonight or something? You have me know it's something along those lines. What I liked about him was that he was he was very like his voice was very soothing. Like I'm like God, he would be a great audiobook narrator. Um, but the way that he does his interviews and the way that he has his conversations. Even when things get heated, he never seems to lose his cool. He's like super fair, super just doesn't get rattled, doesn't buy into it, doesn't take the bait, which is something, you know, I have a hard time with. I get super fired up. You know, he had that lady that was like screaming at him. People who do drugs and the gray matter in their mind and the things that it affects and the clarity that they don't have are not respectable people to give their opinion on the facts of a death of another human being that they probably weren't good to, weren't close with, didn't care about, and now they're willing to talk about it. It's, it's telling stories about tragedies that create uh, uh, moralities. It's telling these stories that make people realise that they have to behave differently to the people who are still alive. So I, I think he's kind of masterful in the way that he does interview people because he doesn't do it in a judgy way. He does it in this very just straightforward way. But at the same time, he really presses on and asks a lot of questions. So he's not letting people off the hook. It's just... The manner that he does it is is very skillful. Now, John Ronson does make a point of saying in an early episode that even though people in the porn industry are speculating that August Ames did not die by suicide, that in fact she may have been murdered maybe by her husband, Kevin, he makes it very clear early on, like, this is not what this is. Yeah, I actually was impressed with that. He made a point to say he doesn't like it when people sort of create this artificial narrative tension by leaving the question unanswered about and and implying that, you know, maybe this is going to end up being a murder case. It's actually, you know, in one pragmatic way, smart, because in the end, it doesn't come out to be a murder case. So if you're building up sort of the promise of that, then you're going to be disappointed at the end. So to get it out of the way and sort of eliminate that as something that is going to be in the listener's mind and refocuses the story someplace else was both ethically well done and narratively well done. I do have like a little bit of an issue, though, with the podcast. I'm just going to like lay this out there and I would love you guys to change my mind during this discussion. All right. We've never done this before, right? We've never changed your mind before. That's no, true. no, I've never done a thing where I've like laid out and I've like I've asked you to change my mind because I really I want my mind to be changed. But I listen to this through the sort of critical ear of somebody who listens to a lot of shows like this, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody who goes into a story and is trying to find out a thing. 
And we were brought through a lot of details and a lot of interviews with people. And Kevin is obviously a character that really tiptoe around, August's husband, who had a very complicated sort of story. And then we talked to his, you know, former wife and we talked to people who knew him. There's a lot of speculation about him. And John talks about avoiding him for a long time. And we sort of like do like a lot of dancing around these characters. I am not certain that at the end of this podcast, I actually have much of a deeper understanding of what actually happened to this woman than I did at the beginning. And I found myself thinking, is it because it's John Ronson and he's super fucking charming that we are okay with a story that ultimately like did not deliver a tremendous amount of answers? Like, what is this? And am I wrong to sort of think that like... If Who says somebody, we're okay with that? No, but if somebody... I'm just saying, like, I know that people generally just to sort of like acclaim the stuff he does. And I think of like a lot of the, the criticism that like Io Till It Right is getting for um, The Ballad of Billy Balls, which is like a similar type of story, just like an interpersonal story. Like, it's John Ronson, a beloved, and I'm sorry I'm going to say it, like white guy who's, who's like been able to sort of be this gonzo journalist in this space... Do we give him more latitude to tell a story that basically meanders and doesn't land with like an actual answer? Do we give him more latitude because of who he is? Change my mind. I'm saying if you feel completely differently about it, this is the opportunity to change my mind. Anyone? I feel differently. Go ahead, Toby. I I feel differently. I think he approaches it from the stance that when somebody commits suicide, it's complicated. And it's not the kind of thing where it's like somebody said something mean to her and that put her over the edge. And in her case, she's in this kind of strange, you know, community that's the, the, the porn community. And it's just taking a look at, as much as he can, what was her environment like, including like her past and stuff like that. But not just, you know, her, her husband, Kevin, who's a piece of work. But then talking to other people who knew her and like, in what ways do they know her? What is it like to be in that community, which is, you know, it's a complicated place. I mean, it's it's interesting when they, they talk, uh, you get this sense that they like to think of themselves as this community where they're generally supportive uh, and things like that. But at the same time, they're constantly saying, yeah, well, everybody's fucked up mm-hmm. and – Nobody went to college, so everybody's, like, uneducated. and Living through their adolescence as adults in this scenario, right? Right, and they, all the, the women have daddy issues and all, all this stuff. So it's like this, like, sort of dysfunctional group trying to be a community. So I thought it was a way of looking at it in a, in a way that was a little more realistic and sophisticated than even, like, what Kevin and some of the other people are trying to talk about, which is, like, this was the thing that put her over the edge. This was the thing that put her over the edge. It's like, that that's not exactly the way it works. Right. Well, everybody seemed to take a side. Like, they wanted John to be telling a specific story. Kevin is obviously a big part of the catalyst for this. I just want to point out, you were right. <laughs> you told me it would be a hand grenade. Right. You were right. I didn't listen to you. And now I'm visiting Kevin at his home out in Camarillo. Kevin's hand grenade comment relates to something we'd talked about back in January when this was still a story about social media bullying. Kevin was about to release his statement and although it wasn't my place to say, I had offered him a warning. It's going to be like setting off a hand grenade and is that definitely the right thing to do? 
Yeah, I think the business might need a hand grenade. Laura, what did you think about Kevin as a character? I mean, because a huge part of this podcast is John exploring what he thinks about Kevin as a character. And there's a lot of speculation. And there are a lot of voices in this talking about Kevin. But ultimately, there's nothing that's really an indictment of Kevin insofar as there's no, like, history of domestic violence. You know, even his ex-wife, who, like, seemed like she was going to be sort of the Kevin whistleblower, is ultimately like, yeah, he was just, like, emotionally distant. But he also comes off as, like, not a sympathetic character. What did you think of this guy, Laura? I just thought he was a creep. I mean, I just didn't like this guy. I felt like, I, I, I guess... You know what it is? Number one, I can't get my head around how somebody, you know, you could be married and your husband is just like totally cool with you having sex with all these other guys. I mean, and then that that I have a hard time getting my head around, um, especially when you're hearing reports about some of the other guys maybe not treating her, you know, particularly well during filming. But he just... He just seemed like he's he started he came out the gate and that was sort of the, you know what kicked off this story blaming her suicide on these two other actresses who um you know came out on Twitter after she had made these remarks and and he's blaming it on them and cyberbullying but it just seemed like there were so many inconsistencies in what he said that even though there was like no big like smoking gun with like, oh, yeah, this is what's going to really tip Kevin over the edge. It just seemed like, you know, even like something like the how long the electricity was actually out for and whether or not he actually drove around all night looking for her. And actually, no, he was just sitting at the Sheridan doing whatever. I had a moment where I was like when I found out about the cancer cat, I was like, maybe the cat with cancer is why he's so fucked up. But I don't know. I just I just thought he was a creep. What about you, Kevin? Yeah, Kevin is a problematic person. He certainly is self-absorbed. He's not willing to take any responsibility for his role in anybody in any of the relationships he's in. I mean, if I'm going to play pop psychologist and just guess at sort of, you know, the kind of person he is and what, you know, is he's being emotionally motivated by in his his relationships, he understands that these women in his mind are I don't want to say damaged goods, but they are, you know, that he has enough self-loathing that he feels like I am going to pursue women who have other issues because I will measure up to somebody like that. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And say, why would you continue to pursue women in the porn industry as, you know, people, like you say, that have addiction problems or have daddy issues or have all these other things? Because it's easier to do that than try to have a relationship with somebody who is an MBA and put together. Now, that's not to say that women who are in the porn industry are not worthy of love or respect, um, because they are. But, you know, he had a very astute observation about the blind leading the blind. And he meant that sort of emotionally and mature-wise, that it's it's a bunch of damaged people all interacting with one another. Because that's... You know, most clean cut white collar Americans just aren't setting up, uh, you know, porn studios. I mean, there's a reason for that. See, to me, that was the most sort of interesting moment in the podcast. And this is what I think is unfortunate about it, right? Because uh, John Ronson leans on 
like investigative details, like calling the power company to find out for just how long yeah. the power was out at the house and like the hotel reservation. And it's all very like it's set up in a way, even to the very end, we never are relieved of all this sort of like ominous investigation like -hmm. stuff like you know he and Lena watched the raw video of what actually happened to August on set and you know Lena very accurately describes it as exactly what August says she experienced at the hands of this awful guy what's always stood out to me most on shoots isn't how the performers behave while the camera is rolling it's how they behave when the director calls cut usually when a director calls cut performers remain engaged sometimes they'll take pictures with one another to post on Instagram Often they'll have such good chemistry that they just keep on having sex. When the director in August and Marcus's shoot calls cut, August backs away. She stands up straight, looks down at the floor, and avoids eye contact. And it all sounds very like, okay, this is, you know, leading something like an investigation. And really the end of this, the takeaway is we are all fucked up. Because John Ronson confronts Kevin and says basically like, you are a child who... You've also never matured. You were also stunted. You also have issues like daddy issues and family issues. And yet you're older and more established. And this is this ecosystem is where women come into this looking for sort of protection and like guys like you do it. And what do you think? And Kevin is like, yeah, that sounds about right. And that's and that those the fruits of the investigation. Right. 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 The promise of the podcast, the idea about what this is going to be is to answer the question of. Why did August Ames kill herself? Why did she? Do you have an answer? No. Nobody has an answer. Right. And nobody will have an answer because that's the complexity of suicide. And while there are all these other sort of contributing factors, Kevin may be a super asshole and he may be abusive on some level. But even when you look at that, you can't say... That's why she committed suicide. Right. You can say he's or you probably say the a liar, thing is right? That, right? These are all stressors and right. they're aggravating right. factors, but you can't say that's why she committed suicide and that's why this other one didn't commit suicide. Right. Right. If you wanted to look at the porn industry, which he already did in The Butterfly Effect, you know, that's one thing. But sort of the idea, we're going to find out what happened to this girl. You know, it's almost easier if it was a murder because you can answer that. But you can't. It just we, we have been trying as as people for hundreds of years to figure out why people take their lives. And there's just no answer to that. There's no simple answer to that. Laura, one of the things I wanted to I kept thinking about you when I was listening to this, because <laughs> while and Kevin, I'm sorry, while I sort of assume that Kevin might know who Jessica Drake and August Ames are. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard of Jessica Drake. Well, Jessica Drake was also a Trump accuser. Uh, she's represented by Laura Allred. She said that, you know, Trump had tried yep. to pay her for sex. So she's been in the public eye in other sort of ways. But like, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I just assume that like, you know, late night you're screwing by Cinemax and you might just casually know. <laughs> What's the deal with all the stepmom porn? By I don't the way? know. We, uh, we Why really is that know. popular? Everyone's Seriously. like, no, just kidding. Never we, mind. we talked about on the podcast. Mom and dad are fighting. We did. And like why a fantasy would be like screwing one of your parents. Like that came up on a very clean oh, podcast. That that's I'm on. weird. Super. The whole thing is weird. The whole thing is weird. But Jessica Drake, okay. Acknowledge that it's weird. But Laura, you're listening to this story and it's sort of like exploring this community that I am just guessing, because I know you, that you don't know a ton about. So what is it like for you to hear a story like this with that being the backdrop? And everybody that John talks to, to some extent, is kind of like an unreliable character because you kind of know like this entire industry. And they say it, even in the industry say it. 
it's built on artifice. It's built on us pretending to be one thing, but actually being another. What did you think of all that? I do love these, what I call like subculture sort of examinations where you're taken into, uh, you know, a world that you're not really familiar with, you know, and I really, you know, shocker here, I I don't really know much about the porn industry. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't know. You know, I guess I have a lot of stereotypes in my head about what I think it's like. But listening to it, I came away getting really angry a couple times listening to how, especially when they were talking about the scene with the angry Russian guy that was like her last scene where he was, you know, pretty violent, you know, listening to the men that were surrounding her, that were allegedly her friends, sort of like almost like perpetuating this sort of facade of what was going on there. And, oh, she was fine. No big deal, you know. Um, So sort of glossing over and totally disregarding what was happening to women as, as, you know, some of these scenes were being shot. And that especially came to a head at the end when they actually watched that scene and were like, yeah, it was pretty rough. It was really bizarre to me to listen to, you know, first of all, girls that are just out of high school leaving home and they're going to make their, and this is, this is where they end up. But then all the men that are involved in, in sort of different roles in casting this community. Couch. Please tell me you're going to talk about the casting couch. Uh, I, oh my God. Up. The man, the old man, what did he say? I've had sex with 5,500 women. I don't remember. I'm like, what in the fucking, like, what is this? So, I mean, and you're listening to that, like, audio recording where it's, she's like, oh, blah, 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 blah. How do you see the future? My true passion is in ethnographic research and writing. Everything's so happy, and I'm like, this is so fucked up. I mean, sorry, I mean, it's just super dysfunctional. And how can anybody think that this is functional? I'm sorry. I just, I don't know. Um, so I mean, it was, Laura it was, is still scandalized that Bridget the Midget was at the strip club she near was. her house. She is so. a midget. Yeah. She's also a porn actress. Yes, she is. Yeah. yeah, she's not just a stripper. She's in movies. So I don't know. I was I was a little bit upset about the way that the women were treated based on the way that the story was told, especially August. I felt like, God, you know, this, I don't know. Now, Toby John Ronson really does play the role of like, sort of casual reporter on this. I mean, he's reported on the porn industry before, as he mentions, and as, you know, we know from his other podcasts, you know, he's invited to the AVN Awards. He gets to sit at a table. Everyone in the industry knows him. He gets that access to Jessica Drake. Uh, He doesn't belabor the dysfunction of the porn industry. He kind of lets the people in the industry do it for him. But what do you think when you listen to a podcast like this? And this is the backdrop. I mean, is part of you like... Okay, we we know we're being sex positive. We know we're being choice positive. We know like, you know, what we want to do is create an environment where we can go into this kind of work and we can just feel like that's their choice and that's what they want to do. But also, it is surreal. And as a listener, you are sort of charged with bridging that divide. How does that go for you when you listen to something like this? Uh, That's a good question. I guess part of especially in this, is listening to how people talk about their own industry, I guess, because it does. I mean, it does seem kind of surreal, and it's kind of hard to wrap your head around the choices that people make to go into that industry. There wasn't like a point at which we're like, okay, look, we're going to spend five minutes sort of describing the industry, but you do get these little snippets of kind of information about how the dynamics work. And, you know, there's a lot of 
you know, three or four times, including the producer, says that they, they want to make the point that there's a lot of women who choose to be in the industry, who make good careers, who make good money, who are sort of in charge of what they do and what they don't do and things like that. My sense is there's probably a lot of others who don't have that kind of uh, control over yeah. their, you know, quote unquote careers. And, the, and then the sort of <laughs> the sort of window you get on the men who are sort of in that industry, it's weird. Like you, you, they talk to like Lexington Steele, who's like a prolific male porn actor. In I the guess. back seat of his Porsche outside of a strip mall. Like that's where he wants yeah, to so, meet. <laughs> yeah. So it's a weird combination of a lot of things going on there. And then, uh, you know, this guy who was kind of a, that the uh, the guy who got the tickets that pissed Kevin off. Yeah. Um, and like him's being sort of on the periphery of it. And there's that director and the agent and Kevin himself. You know, you, you kind of listen, you kind of try to read between the lines a little bit. But also, especially the porn industry, I think it's something that people have, they already have an idea of what it is. What you're hearing is either confirming that or it's it's disconfirming it. You know, it's sad. I mean, for the most part, like even though I'm not saying that it's sad for every single person who's involved or whatever and that, you know, people can't make the choices they want to make. But the idea that – and, you know, I, I only say this because they're saying it about them. That, that was the way people in the industry describe themselves in this in this podcast. But there's a lot of damaged people showing up in this industry where really the support system is, you know, similar people. Hmm. So, you know, you're all kind of pulling together, but there's not – it doesn't seem like there's much stability that's there yeah. on offer yeah. uh, to kind of help people – kind of deal with their issues in a, in a very, uh, you know, effective way. What, Toby, you don't think it's enough to sort of get people to testify on video as they're leaving their job and hold their check in their hand until they uh, do so? Like, did you have a good day today or not? Did what you, the fuck? That was fucked up. I get that right? all the time. That made me so angry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I completely agree with everything you said. Ted, Kevin, I have one final question for you before we do our review. Yeah. What did you think of the whimsical, happy, this American life-ish music that was the entire soundtrack of this podcast, even when super dark things were being talked about? I thought it was a little weird. I guess, was it his brother who did it? I, a, maybe. Also yeah. someone named Ronson. Yeah. Not Mark Ronson, a different Ronson. Not Johnson, but Ronson. <laughs> uh, but didn't it only just sort of play at the end? No, it played all the time. Oh, I guess He'd be I, talking well. about something super dark, and they would just play that really tinkly music. A couple of weeks after I interview Yoshi contacts us again. He says he's going to be in New York and he has something that he wants to show us. So can I open it? Sure, please. Okay. He turns up holding a giant poster board wrapped in brown paper. This is a very complicated (laughs) uh, board full of like arrows. It looks like the kind of chart that you might find in a police incident room. But instead of a crime syndicate, it's all pictures of porn people with Kevin in the middle. Each photograph is connected by a complicated system of arrows and dots. These are the people, Yoshi says, who have wronged him in porn. Oh, yeah. Was it trying to set a mood Uh, of like, this is okay, guys? Like, what was that? I don't know. It seems like a misfire. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe it's very, to me, like, when I talk about the John Ronson stuff, like, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got to say, there's not a lot about this podcast that I particularly cared for. So I hadn't thought about the music all that much. Let's find out what you think, shall we? 
Let's do what we do and get the panel's thumbs up or thumbs down review. For the last days of August, this was an Audible original podcast that is now available in its entirety on all of the podcast apps. I listened on Apple Podcasts, but you can get it just about anywhere. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for the last days of August? I'm going to go thumbs up just because I think, you know, production wise, the, you know, audio quality is very good. I love listening to John. He's, um, I love the way he interviews people. Like he never loses his cool, but at the same time asks very tough questions. I didn't necessarily love the subject matter. I mean, it was definitely difficult listening in terms of, for me, um, as somebody who gets fired up about what I perceive as injustices in the world, hearing how some of the women were treated was not easy to listen to. And also listening to what happened to August sort of leading up to her death. But it was also really an interesting window for me into a world, you know, the adult film industry that I didn't really know that much about, um, aside from like Stormy Daniels and things that are in the news that I don't, you know. So it it was interesting. Um, Definitely well done. um, But in terms of the subject matter, a bit of a tough listen. What about you, Toby? Thumbs up or thumbs down review in the last days of August? Starring... John Ronson. Uh, I give it a thumbs up. I I thought it was really good. I think, like Kevin said before, you're not going to have an answer for why somebody commits suicide that you can sum up in, you know, a sentence. So there wasn't going to be, like, in the last five minutes, the aha moment or whatever. But I think he does paint a pretty effective picture of the environment in which she lived and gives you a pretty good sense that if you were struggling with mental illness, like <laughs> this is not a very nurturing place. So I, I, I don't know. I thought, it, I thought it was smart. I thought there was, there was a pretty good amount of nuance. I think he, he gets what he wants out of people. He gets people to talk and he follows up and he confronts people with things in a sort of like non-threatening, but it's still f- sort of forceful way. So I, I thought it was good. I have really mixed feelings about this podcast. John Ronson is someone who whose work I really have admired. I really loved the psychopath episode of This American Life in which he was a central figure. I think I've heard that episode probably 20 times. Um, and, you know, his book, The Psychopath Test. And he is that sort of gonzo journalist who gets into things. He's a very interesting guy. There's a lot of good stuff in the podcast. Ultimately, and I'm just going to be honest with you, if this podcast had the exact same writing and the exact same production, and if it were somebody else delivering it, like maybe somebody who had made work we hadn't liked in the past, like a Payne Lindsay or, you know, a, somebody who was an inexperienced podcaster, we would, I believe, be panning this right now. And the reason why I really believe that is that this is sort of an unfulfilled promise. It looks at a lot of things. Yeah, it kind of looks at the porn industry. Yeah, it kind of looks at whether Kevin is a legit guy or full of shit. Doesn't really land either way. It kind of does a study about August Ames and kind of goes home and talks about her life. But it only goes a little bit into each of those things. And it asks us to draw conclusions when in and of itself, it doesn't actually come to any conclusion. So as I mentioned earlier, there are some sort of like framed oh shit moments in the podcast where Ronson reveals things that he discovered and they're supposed to be like, as a person listening, supposed to be like, but then ultimately it doesn't land. That's not the conclusion we get to. We don't get to whether or not 
there was any kind of malfeasance here or not. It just ends up being like, this is a fucked up situation that this very troubled person was in and it led to this tragic conclusion. That is the story. And yet we have seven episodes where we are sort of led to believe it might be doing something else. And I do believe that if this were anybody other than the very, very charming and charismatic and ethical and stand up guy, John Ronson, that we would be panning this podcast. So I have to give it a thumbs down because that kind of is my takeaway. What about you, Kevin? I'm a thumbs down. I like the title. I thought it was the most clever thing about it. The last days of August about a girl named August who commits suicide. Otherwise, I didn't really enjoy much of what I heard. There are, to me, no enjoyable characters here. Nobody likable. Nobody I heard that I thought was at all redeeming. It just seemed to be one interview with one unlikable person after another. So I was really down on it. And the idea that, in the end, if, if it's we're going to find out why somebody committed suicide... In this particular case, it's not something that you're ever going to be able to answer. And so to attempt it, I think, was wrong. It reminded me of hanged in that way. Mm. If it's going, if this is ultimately what you're going to try to figure out, you're just going to come away disappointed. I was disappointed, and it kind of makes me feel like um, what they say about Washington is probably true about the porn industry, is that you know, if you, if you want someone to like you, you want a friend, well, get a dog. Yeah. And if you have a dog that you really like, you're going to want to feed them food from Ollie. <laughs> Ollie, yes. Ollie has changed our dog's lives. Your dog's health is as important as every other member of your family, and it starts with what you feed them. Ollie offers vet-formulated recipes and fully transparent ingredients to give your dog the healthiest food possible. And we're talking real all-natural food that... Even people can eat. It's real food. Yeah, no preservatives. Everything's sourced from U.S. family farms. This is the kind of food that, like, our dogs are picky. One of them is. One of them is picky, all right? I'll say that the dog, he will eat the food, but, like, you put it in the bowl, right? And it could be his favorite meal, and you put it out there, and he will stare at you and not touch (laughs) it. Until you add something. He's waiting for you to come over and throw a second thing in. Piece of cheese. Cheese, cheese, crumble up a treat. He's trained us well. We tried this. Dog lasted for three minutes, and yeah. he gave up, and he said, this smells too good, and he yeah, can't do it. Yeah, and our other dog, who loves eating everything, is she's like so surprised that we are giving her this amazing food. It's like a home-cooked meal that she's getting at every meal. Really, I have to say, can I just say one other benefit of this dog food? It might yeah. be in the ad copy, but I just want to say it. I know what you're going to say. The pooping situation, it's incredible. Oh. Our dogs incredible have gone by from meaning being that, yeah. prolific, like all-the-time poopers, to being like regular like twice a day poopers. And the amount, the volume is yes! down. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's exactly what you want it to be. That's exactly. all I'm going to say about it. Yeah. All you have to do is go to myolly.com, answer a couple of questions about your dog, and they'll ship you custom recipes and pre portioned meals straight to your door on a regular schedule. We've gotten a lot of the different uh, beef formulations. Yeah, like we also can of, get chicken yeah. and other kinds of proteins. Shipping's free. And if your dog doesn't like the meals, have a money-back guarantee. Best of all, Ollie is offering our listeners 60% off your first box wow. of food, plus free a free bag of treats at myollie.com slash try slash crime. Slash try slash crime. Yeah, this is the best deal that they have available anywhere. So this is where you go. You go to myollie.com. It's myollie.com slash try 
slash crime for 60% off plus a free bag of treats. So you spell it out. It's M-Y-O-L-L-I-E. Myolly.com slash try slash crime. I can't believe we just talked about poop in an ad. What else you got, Kevin? Uh, well, you, you can, <laughs> well, you can own iconic luxury items at unreal values with The Real Real, the leading reseller of authenticated luxury from top designers. Shop from designers like Louis Vuitton, Gucci, Rolex, Cartier, and hundreds more at up to 90% off retail. New arrivals come in daily, and every single item is authenticated by The Real Real's team of experts. You can shop and consign women's and men's luxury fashion, as well as fine jewelry, watches, art, and more. Shop online or visit one of their stores in Soho or West Hollywood or visit one of their luxury consignment offices in Chicago, Dallas, Miami, San Francisco, and Washington, D.C. Rebecca, I'm thinking road trip. What do you think? Ooh, that sounds fantastic. New customers receive an automatic $20 off at checkout. So shop in-store online or download the app and you'll get 20% off select items with the promo code REAL. REAL. That's the realreal.com promo code REAL for 20% off select items. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime Crime of of the week. The week. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. You wrote that. I did. It was supposed to be a laugh line, yet none of you laughed. <laughs> I'm laughing. I'm still thinking of the hot chicken, so I'll <laughs> A South African man faces charges after convincing the staff at a local KFC that he was from the head office and ate free chicken for two years. Local papers say the unidentified man is a university student who passed himself off as a corporate employee sent to do quality control. The man would walk into the kitchen, take notes, and sample anything he wanted. The elaborate ruse included business cards with just his name and the, quote, head office. He even pulled up to a KFC in a limo driven by a friend so they could all eat. The fast food workers were always eager to please the imposter because they didn't want to get into trouble with corporate. It seems that fear knows no borders. It's unclear how authorities were able to detect this serious case of foul play. (laughs) You like that, huh? Like that joke? Uh, But social media is loving the story and hailing him not as a criminal but as a chicken-loving genius. Not all heroes wear capes, Rebecca. (laughs) So my question for you, panel, is have you ever availed yourself or received a perk that you were not technically entitled to? Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. I'm just not as lucky as this chicken guy. Um, (laughs) Lucky? It sounds pretty intentional to me. Well, I, I mean, I've just, no, I, I, nothing comes to mind. I, I, I think I need to find myself a perk that I can take advantage of um, because I guess I'm not getting any. Oh, by the way, uh, FabFitFun says those boxes weren't intended for you. <laughs> uh, well, I was going to, actually, I was going to say that, but I wasn't sure if I should throw that in there. <laughs> they send a lot of FabFitFun boxes. Well, let me just say, if they don't have an ad this week, but we can talk about it when they do. The summer box is pretty great. Toby Bo, what yeah, about you? Have you ever availed yourself of a perk that you were not actually entitled to? First of all, I don't think two years of Kentucky Fried Chicken is much of a freaking perk. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a death sentence. Uh, But working at University of New Hampshire, there's not a whole lot of perks going on, uh, which is probably part of Laura's problem. (laughs) But when I did back in the day when I was working in D.C., there were corporate Orioles tickets. 
which I was pretty low on the totem pole and one <laughs> rainy afternoon when the Indians were in town, it somehow made its way down to me and a couple of my friends. It's like, do you want the Oriole tickets? And it's like, yeah, you know, it's probably about an 80% chance it's going to get rained out. We're like, yeah, you know what? We'll go up there. If it gets rained out, we'll go to Fells Point. And uh, actually it ended up the, the skies cleared and we had a very nice time drinking beers, watching the Orioles. Wow. Well, that is what a great story. A huh? Very yeah. exciting <laughs> I have one that I continue to do, mm-hmm. which is not dissimilar to this story, except that I might be fired from my job if I tell you, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Yeah. When we have fun drives at the public radio station where I work, we get donated food for the people who are pitching the fun mm-hmm. drive. And we have a wonderful person who works at our station, Beth, who's like one of my favorite people. But she's basically like the free food police. And this poor Beth has like so much to do, like actually important things. And every fun drive, like every day, she has to send a stupid email to the whole staff being like, reminder, if you're not pitching the fun drive, the pizza's not for you. It's for the people (laughs) who are actually working. Just reminder. And then occasionally she'll send out an email later saying, hey, everyone, you know, even though you're not pitching, there's extra pizza, so go help yourselves, whatever. Like, she has to be on top of it because I work with a bunch of animals who will just eat whatever (laughs) is in front of them. But I will admit, I am, in fact, one of those animals. And even when I am not pitching or producing, I will sometimes walk by the kitchen, sneak in, grab a plate, grab a slice of pizza, and then walk out of the kitchen with it kind of like behind my back, like a super asshole who didn't listen to the rules. And the one time I was caught, I was like, don't you know who I am? (laughs) They do. You work there. I literally work there. Yeah, I was just like joking and trying to get away with it, but it's not a good habit. What about you, Kevin? Do you ever get a perk that you haven't been entitled to? Sure. You and I both did. What's that? This fall, we were at my cousin's wedding, <laughs> and we were all dancing, having a great time at the uh, the banquet hall, and we noticed that the other wedding in the banquet hall next door had a photo booth. Seemed more fun. So we walked over <laughs> to the other place, and we posed in the photo booth, got our photo, and so we don't know who Sarah and Dan are, but uh, best wishes. <laughs> we and do. Thanks. And it's yeah. Happy wedding, yeah, Sarah and Dan. Oh. All right. We should probably end on that note with all of our dishonesty laid out to bear, except for Laura's, who apparently is the most honest person in the world. She's full of shit. She just can't remember. Laura Bricker. <laughs> Before we end the show, do we have a cat of the week this week? We do have a cat just because I can't stop looking at the picture. I'm so mesmerized by Jennifer Little McCord's cat, her tabby cat that she put in a little Hawaiian shirt. Nice. Um, Jimmy Buff cat. Yeah. The Jimmy Buffett cat. He's he's a little parrot head cat, um, which just goes back to my uh, quest to get the um, cat tiki hat put down at the Wyndham St. Thomas for the island cats there. So it kind of reminded me of that, but I loved her little cat. And it, apparently he has a total beach attitude because he just showed up at their house one day, walked in and was like, hey, how's it going? I live here now. So um, I'm kind of behind that. I think he seems like a very cool cat. And he tolerates the outfit, which my cats do not. Hmm. So nice job, Jennifer. All right. Well, Laura Bricker, if our listeners want to reach out to you and nominate their pet to be Cat of the Week, it doesn't have to be a cat, as has been firmly established on the show. How can they find you online? Uh, Laura Bricker. And I would like to mention also that the Animal Kingdom continues to support Kevin. Yes, um, Kevin Flynn. We Kevin oh, yeah? P. Flynn. 
we have Cats Against Cancer. And Yay. we have a nice cat um, raising his paw in the air, Remy the cat, Jude's cat Remy. Uh, kind of looks like Super Cat, like kind of like Superman. How Superman has like one yeah, paw out I saw Remy. the other. Yeah, it looks like a fencer yeah. in that fencing pose. Yeah, yeah. So cats, cats for Kevin. Can yeah, we be, love those cats. Can you be you. convinced to even like cats in these circumstances, Kevin? I think that we can all get together you and can make appreciate. An yeah, make an exception for uh, cats okay. against cancer. So, Laura, what is, what's your Twitter handle again? My Twitter is at Laura Bricker. And Toby Ball, folks want to reach out to you and say they were also at that Orioles game. Maybe they were with you on the jumbotron. How can they find you online? At Toby Ball NH. And Kevin Flynn, if people want to send their felines or other animals to you to wish you... Dogs against diphtheria. Love and support in your time of need. How can they find you online? I'm going to be at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoie. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And I encourage you strenuously to join the amazing community in our official Crime Writers On discussion group on Facebook. We also have a regular Facebook page. Support our show on patreon.com slash partners in crime media and you will get the Crime Writers on after show right now for this show. You'll get it. You'll hear my kids reading the shitty reviews of this podcast <laughs> on Apple Podcasts. You can also get Married with Podcasts, Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast, and Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker Investigative podcast. Our theme song was performed by the New York Sky Jazz Ensemble and used with permission. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our basement where the 2020 AVN Awards show will be taped in all all of its nude glory. <laughs> On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. And this week, we'll talk about Zach Efron's turn as a real life serial killer and extremely. In a, this is so hard to fuck. Why is it so dark? It's like it's extra dark in here tonight. I'm going to start the whole thing again and I'm going to get through it in one take. You guys ready? I'm Rebecca Lavoie. And Are you this, starting now? Yes. Own iconic luxury items at unreal values with The Real Real, the leading reseller of authenticated luxury from top designers at up to 90% off. Every item is authenticated by The Real Real's team of experts, and new arrivals come in daily. New customers receive an automatic $25 off at checkout. Shop in-store, online, or download the app and get 20% off select items with the promo code REAL. Real. The realreal.com promo code REAL. Real.